From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For over 25 years, Derek Hayes has exclusively represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. My name is Lita Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Mr. Derek Hayes. Good morning, Derek. Good morning. Good to be here again, as always. Absolutely. Before we begin the show, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by the Status Market and Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and the law offices of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law offices of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. All right, welcome back. So today we are doing a continuation of the, I was going to say last week, but that's irrelevant in podcast world, (laughs) of the last show where you were breaking down the specifics of personal injury claims. And we are located here in Georgia. I say every time your practice is not specific to Georgia because you do represent clients uh, all over the United States. So we are saying that we are here in Georgia, uh, but the laws are different in every state. Correct. 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 You want to elaborate on that a little, how you are able to practice law in all 50 states? Sure. Sure. As an example, I just recently had cases in federal court in Pennsylvania, federal court in Tennessee. I have cases pending in Florida, in Alabama, and several other surrounding states, but also in the past, I've had cases that uh, were in California, in New York, uh, recently in Massachusetts. So ultimately, I can handle a case in any state up to the point of litigation. If I'm not licensed to practice law in a specific state, you have to do something known as associate counsel. That means you simply uh, connect with an attorney who is licensed in that state to officially file the lawsuit. Uh, There'll be the, the one signing the bottom of the lawsuit, and then I'll sign with them. And I'm still able to, to participate in the litigation aspect of it. And if necessary, and if it goes to trial, I can appear there in court with the other attorney who is licensed in that state. Uh, there's also something called pro hoc vice, but I'm not going to go into that. That's too too detailed, too legal, and probably a lot, very boring for, for most people. But that's a way of, of also being able to practice law in another state or another court. Okay. So as the layperson, which is my role here on the show, I uh, do not have a law degree, but as the host of the show, I you know sort of lay out these questions. And the first thing I would think of is, okay, if I have a case in Florida and you have to associate counsel, are the fees going to double? No, no. And that's a very good question, a valid point, and one I get quite frequently, and that is no. The answer is very simple. The fee structure will still be the same. It'll still be a contingency fee agreement, which means as attorneys, we don't get paid unless you get recovery. So if there is no recovery, quite frankly, you owe nothing. 
Uh, but if we say, for example, litigate and have a 40% fee, which is standard in litigation, the attorney that works with me on the case, he and I or she and I will split that fee accordingly based on the amount of work each firm has done. And that's between the attorneys. It doesn't affect the client at all. The fee would still be 40%, but it would be between the attorneys as to which, uh, who gets what part of that. And we always, as attorneys, work very well together and can coordinate that even before the litigation part starts. So it doesn't affect the client at all. And no, they do not pay two attorney's fees. I think that would be the fear. And there may be a misconception. Sure. I don't want to call you. You're a Georgia attorney. I'm going right. to have to use someone. Maybe you're traveling and you get in a sure. car accident in another state or an injury of any kind. But you're their attorney here in Georgia. They, Correct. You know, they can it, still use you. And it goes both ways. I'm currently representing a family from California. Uh, about a case that's here in Georgia. Mm -hmm. So they live and reside there in California, but the event occurred here in Georgia. So they reached out to me. They found me through my website and connected with me, and so I'm handling the case for them. But it also goes the other way. I represent many people who are living here in Georgia, but their car wreck or their incident occurred in Alabama, Tennessee, Florida, wherever it may have been, and I can still handle that case. And as you said, every state's laws are different. Uh, very quickly, just to touch on a, a point there, here in Georgia, uh, again, it's, it's where we're located. If you're involved in a car wreck, the car wreck claim, the, the personal injury claim, is settled against the insurance policy for the at-fault driver. We're what we call an at-fault state, meaning the at-fault person's insurance coverage takes care of the injury claim for the person who they've hurt. Florida, on the other hand, is what we call a no-fault state. And there are a few other no-fault states, but Florida is the closest one. That means that if you're involved in a wreck in Florida, the claim is not settled through the insurance coverage for the at-fault driver. And in most cases, there are exceptions to every rule, but most cases, the case is settled against your own coverage as a no-fault state, meaning it doesn't matter who's at fault, you're still going against your own coverage. So in, in Florida, you're covering yourself and your family when you purchase insurance there in case you're involved in a wreck and somebody's hit you. In Georgia, the insurance liability coverage you're buying is to cover someone else if you hit and hurt, hurt them. Okay. Personal opinion question. Which way do you like it better? I would say if you ask that question to uh, you know, a whole bunch of attorneys, 80% of them are going to say they much prefer Georgia and the at-fault state. Uh, it's it, Quite frankly, it's, it's the... I don't want to say easier, but it's the better way, in my opinion, and most attorneys' opinions, to handle claims. No-fault states can be very difficult. Uh, there are lots of uh, additional standards that are in place that are required in, in Florida that are not required in, in Georgia. And I'm not going to go into the, the details of that, but let's just say that it's a far better uh, way of, of handling claims, in my opinion, than, than the, uh, the no-fault states. Well, let's jump into today's show because I do have another question that came in through your podcast tab. Yes. Uh, after the information, we're going to tell everybody how they can submit questions. So if you're listening to the podcast and you have a question for Derek, if it's related to today's topic, if it's a question you want to ask about a prior show or, show or you have a question related to law, a case, there is a way to submit all of these. And this one, uh, this question, is a piggyback off of your last show. So Bill from Flowery Branch was listening, and he has a specific question about damages. Now, just to give a little uh, recap on that, we were talking about injury, personal injury claims. Uh -huh. And you went through the elements of a claim. You went through liability and negligence, damages, causation, insurance coverage you were just talking about the outfall driver 
uh, liability umbrella. There was a lot. And sure, we also sure. got into the plaintiff's insurance. And this is where I, I said on the last show, I get really confused. I don't understand all the insurance and the different things you can do and have the UM versus UIM collision <laughs> workers comp. I mean, again, I, workers comp is a little more self-explanatory, but the MPC, the PIP, the FFA, I mean, yeah. that's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and those are all things that we have to be aware of and look for in, in, in a claim. Absolutely. So, yes. And yes. that's why you're the expert, uh, because it, it is. It's very confusing for myself and, and the other lay people. And so Bill had a question, but okay. specifically about damages. So I'm going to read this and turn it over to you. Okay. How are damages measured in a death claim in Georgia? Great question. As always, I love the questions we get. I will say this, and just to kind of recap what you were saying, this is a lecture I had done for uh, a couple of different times, actually a few different times. This one specifically was done for a doctor's group that had their uh, employees who treat, uh, the doctors and the employees treat uh, lots of people who've been injured in car wrecks, and they wanted an attorney to come in to kind of explain the basics of car wreck claims and from beginning to end, how the, the case originates and the coverages and the treatments, those kind of things. Uh, but yes, I talked about damages last week, special damages, general damages, and punitive damages, but I did not touch on wrongful death claims, and I appreciate that question. So here in Georgia, the measure of damages in a wrongful death case, let's say, for example, a car wreck, somebody is killed in a car wreck, how do you determine what the damages are as far as a jury is concerned? Well, in Georgia, the standard is the economic value of life. So as a layperson, if you hear that, you think, what the heck does that mean? Well, what it means is uh, generally we'll bring an economist in who will talk about what this person did as a, a career, what kind of job they had, how much money they were earning, how old they were, how much longer they would have worked, what the expectation of life would be, which there's a mortality table that we use to determine how many years of life on average the person has left. And the economist is to determine exactly what the economic value would be for the remainder of their life. If it's someone who's 20 years old and they're earning, say, $100,000 a year, which is significant income for a 20-year-old, yes. well, that economic value is going to be very high based on their projected earnings over the rest of their life, depending on what kind of career they have. On the other hand, if it's someone who's 40 years old and they make, say, $15,000 a year, uh, then their economic value is going to be determined by that standard. <clears throat> so it, it's, it's good, but there are also drawbacks to it. A perfect example of that would be, what if this is someone who's 80 years old or 90 years old and they're living in a nursing home and they're going to some sort of uh, event, special event outside the nursing home and they're in a car wreck and they're unfortunately killed? Well, that's not someone who's earning an income. That's someone who lives in a nursing home, has no source of income, and the jury has to determine what the economic value of life is for that person who's already lived beyond what the mortality table says would be their expectation of life. So will they base that, if, if they're 80, their money would be in savings, right? There's, there's sure. probably not a lot coming in except a Social Security and a right, pension. Right, exactly. Can anything past be brought into this? A jury can look at things like that. An economist, of course, will present data that will show that. Uh, but it becomes a very difficult burden, I guess you could say, as the plaintiff's attorney to present facts and evidence to be able to support a contention of a substantial amount of money to compensate the remaining you know, estate for, for the loss of that life. Uh, the other way to look at it, too, is think about a two-year-old or a three-year-old child, someone who is clearly not working, you know, even a 10-year-old or 12-year-old, whatever it may be, 
and they're involved in a horrible car wreck and unfortunately are killed. And let's say that their family uh, has nobody that's ever finished high school or nobody who's ever finished college. And the family as a whole typically works, say, minimum wage jobs, hourly rate wage jobs. That doesn't automatically mean that two or three year old child would simply maintain that same level of, of living. That child could very well grow up to be the president or you know, the CEO of a, a multi-billion dollar company. And you're having to project on a young child what their expectation would be. Uh, you know, people come from all kinds of backgrounds. There's no way to guarantee you know, the negative or the positive of what that life would, would have in front of it. Uh, on the other hand, if it's a child who's two or three years old and it's a family full of graduates of college and postgraduate degrees and professionals who've done uh, a lot of good things and earned a lot of money over the course of their life doesn't automatically mean that two or three year old child can or will follow that same path. You know, there, there's no guarantee that they'll stay on the right path and potentially do the things they need to do to follow mom or dad or aunt or uncle or brother or sister. Uh, they may unfortunately make some bad decisions or, you know, get in trouble and, and not, sure. not be able we don't to have that crystal yeah. ball. It's very interesting. I had no idea. No idea. It, I don't know. That's fascinating to me. Can we bring in an economist? Yeah, Can we, we could talk do to that. them? Yes. I mean, that's yeah. it's just it's just to me it's it, very it's, fascinating. It's very I've, I've never heard that there is a value on your life, and if you pass sure, away, sure. Um, that value will have an actual number to it. And let me throw one other fact in there too. This is something too that that's interesting here in Georgia. So if somebody's unfortunately killed in a car wreck, we'll use that example, and they survive for whether it's three minutes or 30 days or three years, and they eventually pass away from the injury sustained in that car wreck. If there is any survival after the impact, it's not a, an immediate death at the point of impact, mm -hmm. they're entitled to receive pain and suffering damages. So if the person survives for three minutes and they pass away and someone quickly responds to the, the, the car and they see the person moaning and groaning and let's say, unfortunately, the car explodes oh. or catches fire and, and they die, in the fire or an explosion. Well, because of the fact they survived the initial impact, there is pain and suffering a jury can award as well. And you can imagine how significant the value of that pain and suffering would be for someone who's simply trapped. They're injured, but they're trapped. And because they're trapped, they're burned to death in a car wreck. Mm. Uh, but if there is no survival, if they die at the point of mm -hmm. impact and there is no uh, you know, time period where someone sees them alive or that they survive again the impact, there is no pain and suffering that a jury can award, period. So there's a very important standard that as an attorney you want to try and be able to prove that there was some level or degree of survival immediately after the wreck. And sometimes you can do it, sometimes you can't. Well, before we jump in, you said this was a lecture. I just want to tell everyone, you're not going to lecture this to no, us. No. We are going to talk through this, but I do have an outline here. So we're going to pick back up where we left okay. off on part one of this. Uh, but I just want to throw in, uh, thank you, Bill, from Flowery Branch. Anyone that has questions, uh, this is, again, fascinating information that we would never know, right? I'm not an attorney. and um, Sure, and most people don't think about these things. You do things. not think about these things. Any questions, I'm going to just tease your website here, www.derek, D-E-R-E-K-M, as in Matthew, Hayes, H-A-Y-S, 
There's no E in it, so don't That's try right. to find it, okay? Uh, .com. So DerekMHayes.com. Go to the podcast tab. There's an area there where you can submit questions. You also have an area on your website where people can submit to you directly if they have a question about a claim uh, or a potential claim. There's been an accident, nursing home neglect, sure. all the different uh, areas of personal yeah. injury law that you cover and can represent. Correct. I get intakes all over the place from the website itself, from friends, from former clients. But yes, on my website, you can submit to me questions about a specific case. Uh, please include your phone number or some way I can contact you and I will. I'll, I'll be the one to call you. I'll be the one to discuss the facts with you. And if I can help you, then of course, we'll discuss that aspect of it. And I'll be happy to help. All right, we're moving into treatment. So we left off talking about all the different insurance. We're not going to go back through that. They have to go back and listen to the last show. But now we want to talk about treatment and how the treatment relates to a personal injury claim. Sure, and, and I get this question every single time someone calls me after a car wreck. What do I do about treatment? And there are options out there, and this is the part that, uh, again, it's, it's done as a lecture, and I don't want it to sound like a lecture, but I do want to touch on the specific points uh, regarding treatment that uh, usually I'll, I'll share with a client. Let's think about this in terms of health insurance. We'll start with that. So health insurance is not intended to pay for injuries caused in a car wreck. And people say, well, what do you mean? Yeah, that's, that's my health insurance. I'm looking at you with a fur right. brow. It's considered what we call a third-party liability claim, a car wreck. So if you're injured as a result of somebody else's negligence, they run a red light, they hit your car, you're injured, that's a third party that caused that injury to you. Health insurance is not intended to pay for something that was caused by someone else. Health insurance is intended to pay for things that weren't caused by somebody else. A cold, the flu, uh, you know, something like diabetes, cancer, things that, uh, let's say, for example, you're at home and you're, you've uh, climbed a ladder to change a light bulb and you fall. Or you fall down the stairs at home and you wind up going to a hospital. It's not caused by somebody else. Quite frankly, it was your own negligence where you fell down the stairs or fell off of a ladder. So your health insurance will pay for those bills. But if you're involved in a car wreck, the person who caused the car wreck, their car insurance is considered to be primary coverage for your expenses. The health insurance is secondary. Now, there are exceptions to every rule. I say this all the time. And when your bills are submitted to your health insurance plan, say, for example, from the hospital or the ambulance or uh, your primary care physician, if you've gone to see him or her, well, if the health insurance company does not look at the records or the coding to show that it was a car wreck-related injury, sure, they may step in and pay it, and, and they will, and that's a good thing. You're still going to be responsible for your copay, whatever that may be, and your health insurance may be entitled to get reimbursement, known as subrogation, uh, for what they've paid from the recovery you get from the other party. So later on, you settle a case with their insurance company, let's say, for example, Allstate, and your health insurance, as an example, is Blue Cross Blue Shield. They may be entitled, depending on your contract language, to be reimbursed or subrogated for any amount of money they paid towards your medical expense from the recovery you get from Allstate. So okay. health insurance, again, is generally not the way to go because it does not cover third-party par third liability claims. Next I think that's a huge point because most I people do don't not, know that. we would not know that. Sure, and people tell me all the time, oh, well, I have health insurance. I understand you do, but let me explain why yeah. that may or may not be beneficial to you. Okay. Primary care physician. People have, many people do, have a good rapport with their, their family doctor, and that's great. Sure. But primary care physicians are generally, and I'm talking in general terms, not uh, suited to treat uh, injuries caused in a car wreck. 
they don't have physical therapy facilities. They don't have uh, chiropractic facilities associated with them for all the modalities that are done. They uh, will treat you for a cold or the flu or uh, blood pressure meds or diabetes Mm -hmm. diabetes meds, whatever it may be, but they're not generally suited to treat car wreck injuries. Now, the good about a primary care physician is if somebody you've had a rapport with, you've treated with for a period of time, they're very familiar with you prior to the wreck and your general health as opposed to you after the wreck. So they may be able to assess the the you know significance of the injury to your back or your leg or your arm or whatever it may be if you've never once complained about back pain to that doctor that primary care doctor and they see you come in and you're in terrible pain they can at least address you before the wreck as opposed to you after the wreck so there is a benefit there but generally for long-term care for uh, car wreck injuries they'll give you anti-inflammatories, pain meds, muscle relaxers, those kind of things, but there's generally not therapy associated with that. So that leads to the next thing, physical therapy. Physical therapy, uh, and I'll group into that uh, chiropractic treatment, uh, tends to be the most hands-on treatment where they're addressing the source of the pain and the cause of the pain and trying to, through therapy and modalities, to uh, assess that, address that, and hopefully alleviate that. Uh, So with chiropractic and physical therapy treatment, you can typically get the most, uh, I'd say, beneficial treatment. At least clients tend to recover best with that hands-on approach. Uh, Of course, an ambulance, I kind of skipped over that. An ambulance responding to the scene, they're there to assess the immediate severity of your injuries, uh, anything from a a head wound to... Right, and uh, sometimes you don't have a choice in that. Sure, absolutely. And and a police officer at a a scene of a wreck will always ask, or at least they should, Mm always ask, do, you, do I need to call an ambulance? And my, my advice to anyone is, if you feel like you're rattled or, or short of breath or confused or dazed or any se- severity of pain, absolutely, absolutely utilize that, that source to get an ambulance there because you uh, sometimes don't understand the severity of what's just happened and you may not want to because, oh, wait, I don't need an ambulance. I'm fine. But the last thing you need to do is drive away if your car is drivable after you've been involved in a wreck and potentially had a head injury, uh, a concussion or something along those lines. Uh, this may or may not be related, but I feel like 99% of the time when people shoo an ambulance away, it's because they have a bad rap for being extremely expensive. Correct. But in this case, if someone else causes the wreck their insurance company is going to pay for that ambulance. Right, right. And, There's and no reason to shoo it away. It's not, you know, you're not going to be strapped with that bill. And yeah. I think that's a, I do, I think it's a huge misconception. Yeah, and that's my job or the attorney's job to, to go and get compensation for that ambulance bill. Right. I've had car wrecks before where a family of four was involved in the wreck and there's mom and dad and two young kids, for example. Well, the kids aren't going to be able to be left on the side of the road. And let's say mom has to be transported by ambulance and dad does as well. And the kids will hop in the ambulance to, to go to the hospital mm-hmm. with mom and dad. And it's interesting because you'll get a bill for mom, you'll get a bill for dad. And there are times where the kids, they may have checked their vital signs, but they did nothing for them other than, you know, check their blood pressure, heart rate, that kind of thing. And I wind up getting a bill for the kids for that ambulance ride. Uh, and again, that's part of having an attorney is mm-hmm. to not only address that, but get compensation for that. An sure. insurance company will argue, no, we're not paying that bill. They didn't do anything for little Susie or little Bobby or, you know, they just rode and that was it. Absolutely, they've got to pay for it. And they'll tell you they're not going to, but that's, again, the job of the attorney sure. to be aware of those kinds of bills and those situations and make sure that there is compensation even for the kids. And I just, I know, as, as, 
you know, we advocate. That's what this show is all about. You know, why you need an attorney. I wouldn't know. If they came back at me and said denied, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to have right. to call an attorney and help me help me navigate through all this. So exactly. I know that that is a huge portion of it. All right. What's our next so there are different ways Category people can here. treat uh, after a car wreck uh, as far as payment is concerned. You brought up payment. The first option self-pay, where every time you go to the doctor, you pay out of pocket. And I tell clients all the time that's foolish. There's absolutely no reason to write a check for a doctor's appointment every every single time you go, $150, $250, $500, whatever it may be. But you can do it if you choose to. I would never advise it. Secondly would be health insurance. We've already talked about that. Third is med pay through your own car insurance, which we addressed that last podcast, where med pay will step in and pay your medical expenses up to your med pay limits. And the next one would be a lien. Now, a lien is probably the most common way to treat injuries, whether it's Georgia or really any other state, where a facility will agree to treat you, your client, uh, whether it be physical therapy, chiropractic treatment, or any other orthopedic care, whatever it may be. But they'll postpone their payment by way of a lien until your case is resolved. And as an attorney, we'll address the lien, we'll sign the lien, and, and work directly with the doctor's office so that during the course of your care, which may be two months, maybe three months, maybe six months, all those bills, all those treatments, the payment will be postponed with the facility until that claim is resolved. And that way, the doctor understands that you know their, their ability to treat uh, and, and take care of your injuries is not limited to whether or not the person can pay, whether or not health insurance will pay, or whether or not they have med pay. Uh, knowing an attorney's involved, they're, I don't want to say guaranteed, but there's a much greater guarantee of payment once the case is resolved, and they're more willing to go ahead and do what needs to be done to treat the patient completely and thoroughly. Okay. Lost wages? So let's talk about... That's got to be huge, right? If yeah. you're injured and you can't work? Right. Lost wages... Um, and we kind of touched on this a little bit last week. So to be able to substantiate a claim for lost wages, there's several things you have to do. You have to have, first and foremost, a doctor's excuse taking you out of work. So if you miss six weeks, but the doctor only took you out for two days, well, you got a problem. Because the doctor felt as though you only needed to be out of work for two days to recover from your injuries. And if you sat out for six weeks, an insurance company is going to look at that and say, no, no, no. Two days. That was it. That was the limited period of time the doctor felt as though you did not need to return to work. Let me ask on this. Who, okay, so you go to the doctor, you get a letter. Are you submitting that letter to the insurance company? Right. As the attorney, I will be able to use that that, uh, doctor's excuse saying, let's say, for example, you're a roofer and you climb a roof every day to uh, replace shingles. and you break physical. Say you break a leg in a car wreck. Or break both legs, whatever it may be. You're not going to be climbing a roof, period. So clearly, it's an obvious thing. You're going to be out of work. So the doctor will determine when you're physically able to return to that kind of work. And they will give you a return to work date. And if, say, that date comes and it goes and you're not still physically ready to go back, the doctor can extend that. Or if before that date comes, the doctor feels as though you've recovered enough to go back, they'll give you a new return to work date. So let's say it's let's say it's a month, you're out of work for a month, and the doctor says you're not to return to work for one full month. Well, that's the first step. Second step is you've got to be able to provide uh, an accounting of what your hourly rate may be or your salary may be. And that's done by your human resources person or your employer, whoever writes the checks and signs the checks. There's a form we'll have them fill out that'll specifically state the dates and the times you missed, what your average rate of pay was, and then mathematically, we can calculate exactly what that lost wage amount may be. 
but again, if you're only out for two days and you miss six weeks, we're going to have a problem because the doctors only accounted for those two days. But if there's a true need for the full six weeks, we can also, too, go back to the doctor to correct that two-day window and, and obviously show it should have been six weeks. Right. Uh, that part I understand. What I'm saying is, uh, so I have a note. Okay. I feel like I'm a kid in school. So I have an yes. excuse. Who am I giving that to? You as my Me, attorney? Me as the attorney. Correct. Uh, you know. Correct. It, okay. So when we're submitting a demand letter to an insurance company to address your damages, I will include your lost wage claim along with the medical expenses, the diagnosed injuries, to account for, again, a special damage, a dollar amount that's set in stone, a dollar amount that can be mathematically determined. Kind of like a hospital bill. That is a special damage. Okay. The next section I feel like is you would probably say this is one of the top questions that you get, and that would be how much is my claim worth? How much is my accident worth, right? You, I've heard sure, you say sure. this on, on plenty of podcasts. So right now we're going to go into how that is determined, correct? Okay. Yes. So with that being said, there, there are generally three main facts that juries really, really care about. In every case I've ever tried, there are so many other things we discuss uh, outside of these three facts. But if you ask a jury, if you poll a jury, or you do some sort of jury uh, survey, you'll find that typically three elements really matter the most. Number one, and believe it or not, this is really number one in almost every situation, it's property damage. That means the damage done to the car. And people think, well, wait a minute, why is that more important than my injury? Well, the, the simple answer is, if you have a car that rolls four or five times and goes up in flames, there's not a jury out there that's going to believe you could not have been hurt. Right. That's a significant impact. On the other hand, if there's simply a scratch of paint or what we call a bumper scuff, a jury's going to have a very difficult time believing that somebody could have been or should have been injured. So it almost gives it a little more concrete measure of if you come in and say you were this injured, that it's almost the proof. Right, it, right? it backs it it's up. The sure, it's easier proof. for a jury to understand and accept that. Right. I will say this though: I have a one point five million dollar outcome on a uh, car wreck with seven hundred eighty three dollars in property damage, and seven hundred eighty three dollars dollars in the grand scheme of things is very minimal damage. Sure, that's a but that's the, a scrape or the, a bumper scuff. Right, the injury was very significant to my elderly client. And that justified and, quite frankly, got a $1.5 million outcome. So property damage is always the first thing. But even if you have that, what insurance companies refer to as low-velocity collision or minor impact, don't let them tell you, oh, that means your case is worth $1,000. The answer is no, it's not. There are other factors that matter. And that, that specific case I'm talking about, the uh, lady I represented, the insurance company told her that with $783 in damage, there's really no way you could be hurt. And if I recall correctly, I think it was $5,000 they offered her to resolve her claim before she called me. Uh, wow. and so it $5,000 to $1.5 million. Correct. I Correct. mean, that's, that's right. not even on the ballpark. And of thankfully, her family said, wow. no, 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 that, right. mom, you, you can't do that. You, you need to talk to somebody. And Thankfully, she chose me, and we were able to discuss it and, and address it appropriately, and that's why she got the outcome she did. But that's number one. Number two is the actual diagnosis. How severe were the injuries? Is it a broken bone? Is it a compound fracture? Is it an amputation? Is it paralysis? Uh, did they pass away? Did they survive and have those pain and suffering damages before they passed away? Or 
Is it simply what we refer to as a minor uh, injury or a soft tissue injury, a sprain, a strain, a contusion, abrasion, subluxation? There, there are all kinds of muscle and tissue injuries that you can sustain in a car wreck. And pain is relative to the person. What somebody considers to be significant pain to one person may not be to another. Uh, so with that being said, it's my job as the attorney to address the severity of pain relative to that person. So when an insurance company says, oh, it's nothing more than a sprain or a strain injury, well, that may be minor to them, but it's not to my client. The easiest pain to bear is somebody else's. It's easy to hear about what, something, uh, what happened to someone and, oh, that can't be that bad. But until you actually are in their shoes, you have no idea how bad that soft tissue injury can affect their life sure. and will affect their life. Absolutely. So you got one more point yeah, on one this? Yeah, one more, one more, and we'll wrap this up after this. So as I said, there are really three main things. Number one, property damage. Number two, the severity of the injury. Number three is the, the amount of the damages, the medical expenses, and the lost wages. If it's someone who has a significant injury and they've got several hundred thousand or over a million dollars in medical bills, well, that's easy to justify based on the severity of their injury. On the other hand, if it's someone with simply a sprain, strain, uh, you know, back injury that, that's not significant in the grand scheme of things, and they've got a million dollars in medical bills, well, there's a problem. So the special damages we've talked about are also, too, relative to the severity of the injury. And a jury wants to know, how much do you own medical expense? Those three factors are really the main points that juries care about in determining what kind of verdict to give someone in a car wreck claim. And again, that applies to dog bites, to slip and falls, everything. All right. I feel like the next section is extremely important, but I want you to read through it as the bullet points. I, we do not have time. Uh, we're running short. Uh, I know, we always, always do another always. show. Yes. There's always a lot to say and a ton of information. So it's the insurance company traps. And I think that's the biggest point for me, especially in getting people to understand this is why you need an attorney because there are insurance company traps. Oh, absolutely. So read through that list uh, as a bullet point, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, you take it and tell everybody how to find you, how to reach you. Sure, sure. So it's kind of the tease to the next show, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about all the things we've discussed so far in the last week's podcast and, and this one, but I, I do want to address the next phase, and that is insurance company traps, things like recorded statements, medical authorization forms, fee scheduling when it comes to medical record or medical bills. Uh, collateral sources, which means other sources of insurance. We'll go in depth about that. Full releases as opposed to limited releases. Uh, hiding punitive damages, things that open the door to those punitives we've discussed before where an insurance company will not tell you about it because they don't have to. Also, too, d diminution in value when it comes to the uh, property damage claim, the diminished value of your vehicle because of the fact it's been wrecked. And then we'll wrap it up with why you need an attorney. Well, I, and I know we talk, we say, I say that every time. This is why you need, this is why you need. But I think that's a great explanation, for lack of a better term, to really hit home. Look at all this, right? Sure. These are personal injury claims. All of this. We just did two entire podcasts on everything that goes into a claim. And I don't know any of this right. as the layperson. Right? And this is only scratching the surface. Exactly. Clearly, exactly. there's a lot more depth and detail I can go into. But uh, for the sake of the podcast, I'm not going to get caught up in all the the, the additional things that, that really come into play here. We're just going to touch on the high points. But we will wrap up with uh, why you need an attorney. We'll talk about uh, maximizing the value, utilizing those collateral sources, dealing with liens, uh, finding all insurance because there are policies that can be hidden and will be hidden by insurance companies. 
uh, finding all uh, the the at fault vehicles or the the drivers. If it's a multi car wreck, there may be more than one at fault claim that you can pursue. Uh, big truck claims, the difference between a, a car wreck and a tractor trailer wreck, and what needs to be done there. Anti lead-up notices where it comes to governmental entities. Uh, people don't know about that. If no, you're pursuing a claim against it. a city, a county, mm-hmm. or, or municipality, or, or state, there are standards you have to meet uh, and deadlines you have to meet with that. Uh, how to prepare for trial. Uh, you know, why with an attorney there, there's a greater recovery in every single claim. Statistically, it's over 40% more money in pocket. Not just money recovered, but money in pocket, 40% more when an attorney's involved and also a probate court that's required for minor children if the settlement exceeds a certain dollar amount. We'll talk about that. And really, one of the biggest things is statute of limitations. Mm-hmm. I get calls. In fact, I had one that I'm dealing with right now where the statute's about to expire. It's a very significant claim, but I don't know if we'll be able to get things done in time. Just based on the amount of time. To pursue it. Oh, Correct. Oh, gosh. All right. Tons more information to unpack. Derek, uh, finish up. Tell everybody how to find you, how to reach you. Yes. As you said earlier, my website is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M, Hayes, H-A-Y-S, dot com. So Derek M. Hayes dot com. You'll find the podcast tab, the way to directly email me. You'll find out uh, a little chat box that will appear. You can chat directly with the office. Also call my, my phone number is 404-777-HURT or 678-225-0970. Also my social media, uh, there's Law Offices of Derek M. Hayes on Instagram, on Facebook, and Twitter. Every social media. And the there. podcast. That's right. We're 30-something episodes into it with... Well over 10 million downloads. Fantastic shows. Every podcast has just more and more information. And I thank you for your time each week that you donate uh, to do this, to educate all of us. We just absolutely appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by the Status Market and Design and the Law Offices of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of these episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until next time for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X.